Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. We are now entering the week of Parashat Va'era, the second parasha of the book of Exodus. And we're going deeper into the whole story of the Jewish people, the Israelites in Egypt, and really the beginning of their redemption. Um, the whole topic of the book of Exodus is all about exile and redemption. This is the first major, most uh, archetypal exile of the, of the Jewish people. And also it tells the story of the most archetypal redemption from exile. And this pattern, this basic image, maybe the most fundamental story in the entire five books of the Torah, maybe the most fundamental story in Judaism and Jewish history in general, where we mention the exile uh, into Egypt and the redemption, the salvation from Egypt, every day in our morning prayers, every holiday, not just Passover, which commemorates the coming out of Egypt, every holiday, uh, every day, every even when we bless the food. It's something that's very fundamental. And the reason it's so fundamental is because this notion of us going into exile and coming out of exile is really in many ways the basic, most deep pattern of existence, of what life is all about. Exile doesn't just mean the Jewish people being out of their homeland. And redemption doesn't just mean coming back from other lands back to the Holy Land. The, this, is, this is the simplest, most basic, most superficial level of understanding these two concepts. On a wider, deeper level, exile suggests any kind of being out of place, disconnected from our root, from the source of our being, from where we belong, from where we know who we are, from where we're doing what we're supposed to do. If we're not connected truly to who we are, to what we're supposed to do, if we're outside, you know, uh, orbiting around, somewhere around where we should be, this is exile. If we forget our calling, if we don't know what our purpose is, if we're lost, if we're suffering, that's exile. And redemption means going back into our true orbit, going back to our center, the center of gravity, to who we are, to revealing, rediscovering again and again and again who we truly are and assuming our true position in the world. And this is a constant journey. We can say even that when psychologists talk about individuation, when they talk about every human being, um, discovering gradually over their lives what their true nature is, what their true identity is, what their true purpose is, they're coming out of exile. It's their own personal redemption. Every voyage, every journey, every discovery, and we often have many cycles of such journeys of discovery and rediscovery in our lives. All of this is variations on a theme. It's going back to this basic motif of coming out of Egypt. The Hebrew word for Egypt, Mitzrayim, suggests constraints, limitations, things that limit who we can be, our true potential. And the redemption, the coming out of Egypt, means opening up, coming out to a broader, wider space, expanse, in which we can grow and blossom. In Hebrew, the two words for exile and redemption are very, very similar, very close. The word for exile is two variations. One is galut. That's the most com the more commonly used. The other one, very similar, comes from the same consonants, is gola. The word for redemption is geula. Only one letter apart. Gola is four-letter Hebrew word. Geula is made up of the exact same letters with just the letter Aleph inserted 
between the second and the between the first and the second letters. Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, connotes uh, unity, divinity, or godliness, also light. And the idea is that redemption is the taking of the stuff of the galut, of exile, the stuff of our lives as it was when we weren't connected to our root, and not throwing it away, but just interjecting, inserting light, lighting it from within, and it changes. If you take the, the, the major letters of these two words, that it's, you, you have just two letters. It's the letters Gal, Gimel and Lamed, right? Two consonants. The others are vowels. So in both Gola and Geula have two major letters, Gal. Gal is a wave. And when you put the two words together, Gal and Gal, it's like two waves, but it creates a new word, which is Galgal. What is Galgal? Galgal is a wheel. A wheel that turns. That's why it's, it's an actual uh, r- sort of round word, because it's, it's, it's one syllable repeated. Galgal. And you can repeat it endlessly. Galgal, 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 just like a wheel that turns endlessly. So you can say that the first, and, and, and even pictorially, you can, you can draw a wave, and then you can draw another wave. But you, another way to do this is you draw one wave, and the other wave, you put them together, you get a circle. So Gal is a wave. There's the wave of the exile. And then there's another wave. There's the wave, the Gal of Geula. And if you put these two waves together, one semicircle and another semicircle, you get a whole circle. And that this is a wheel, the wheel of life, the wheel of fortune, the wheel of of motion, everything that's in motion goes through these two waves. And we need to recognize if this is a good wave or a bad wave. We all need to surf on the waves of our lives, which are really the waves of exile and the waves of redemption. Gal Hagola and Gal Hageula. Now we can take this word Galgal. Galgal is totally circular. If it's totally circular, we get a feeling that we're not going anywhere. That could be very disheartening. If it's just constant, just a constant circle, then we feel that it's, you know, one day we're up, one day we're down. The Arabs have a saying, Yom Asal, Yom Basal. One day is like honey, the other day is like uh, onion. It's One day is sweet, one day is sour. And, and that's the Arabic uh, uh, version of the wheel of of exile and, and redemption. But if we add just one letter to the word Galgal, we add the, we add the letter Vav in, inside the second wave. The way, the second wave, well, if you're an optimist, the second wave, of course, is redemption. If you're a pessimist, the first wave is redemption and the second wave is exile. But since we're optimists, the first wave is exile and the second wave is redemption. So if you put Vav in the middle of the second wave, the word Galgal, wheel, becomes the word Gilgul, which is reincarnation. Reincarnation comes from the same root as wheel. It's like the wheel of fortune, the wheel of life and death. But it changes because it becomes from just a noun, it becomes an action, Gilgul, to reincarnate, to be reincarnated, lead Galgil. So Gilgul is reincarnation. And now it's asymmetrical. And though the circle is broken, it becomes a kind of spiral. Why does it become a kind of spiral? Because the second wave has an added value that the first wave didn't have. The, the Vav suggests the light of God coming down. The Vav is just one line and you draw it, you illustrate it from, from the, you start with the top, you go down. So Vav in Kabbalah, in, in Hasidut, always suggests a sort of ray of light that goes up from, from heaven downwards. So if you add that into the second wave, you get, similar to the idea that Geula is just Gola with the letter Aleph, with light within it, so the first Gal is just a Gal, it's an empty Gal, it's just a wave. 
you're just carried off by waves. But the second gal, you have a vav in the center, it's filled with divine light, and then you feel that it's not just a circle, endless circle goes nowhere, you feel it's progressing. The second half of the word is different, it's richer. And it has a linear element, not just a circular element, because vav is, li- is a line, a straight line. So you're moving from this endless circle to something that you feel that there is a, cir- a circular element, because you're going to be re- you have to go through several rounds of changes in your life. But you feel that whenever you reach the second wave, there's an added value. Something has been gained. Something has been learned. You've connected to a certain ray of light and that helps you elevate yourself and advance. So if a circle, if you add us to a circle, you add a line, it becomes a spiral. And the word itself, Galgal, is circular, but Gilgul is, suggests a spiral. Also, Gilgul, now this new word with the Vav, has the gematria, the numerical value of chesed. Chesed is love or loving kindness. You don't get that with Galgal. Gilgul is 72, that's the numerical value. 72 is the same numerical value as chesed. So you're, we're, it, now it becomes a, a, an act of sort of grace or love of God. God is loving us by turning the wheels of our life into an upward progressing, advancing spiral. Um, That was just an introduction to get us into the topic. The topic we want to talk about today is we want to talk, we want to talk about the title of the class is the spiral of suffering. We spoke about a spiral and the spiral is constantly reaching, advancing towards redemption, towards solutions to our problems, towards more and more light and fulfillment. But there's also an element that whenever you're in a spiral, before you go up to a new level, you have to go down again. And which means that there's always a point in time in which you feel like things are becoming darker and less understood. And you feel that suffering is an inevitable element of the spiral of being. And this is what we want to talk about today. Why is suffering, why does suffering seem to be endless? And how do we mitigate or make suffering bearable? In Hebrew, the word to bear, actually in Old English as well, is to suffer. To suffer something is to bear something. You bear the suffering, same word, lisbol, that means to bear, to endure. We need to endure sufferings and we need to find a way of making it bearable. And it goes along with thinking about this notion of a spiral and constant growth. And we're going to see it very, very beautifully played out in some verses in the beginning of this Parsha, Parsha Tva'era. Because this year, as, we, as any of you, any of you who, who follow the classes know, we're just focusing on the first segment of each Parsha. And we want to take something particularly from the first segment. So we're going to start by putting the beginning, the opening of the Parsha in context. It really has to do with the end of the previous parsha, the parsha Shmot. So the previous parsha spoke about the beginning of the hardships in Egypt, Pharaoh enslaving the Hebrews, and then Moses being born, and Moses discovering his calling before the, front, uh, the burning bush. And then he is very hesitant about becoming a leader, and God convinces him to become a leader. And once he's convinced, he goes to Egypt and he unites with his brother Aaron. And then together they confront Pharaoh. All this happened in the previous parasha, right? They confront Pharaoh. And very straightforwardly, they come to Pharaoh and they tell him, we want you to release the Hebrews, the sons of Israel. So has God decreed. Pharaoh mocks God. He says, who is God? I haven't heard about him. I don't know him. And of course the most expected thing you would, you, the, the thing you would expect most happens. He refuses. But not just, not only does he refuse, but he interprets the very fact that the Hebrews even dare to suggest that he would let them go as a kind of um, laxity on their part, 
which is which comes from him being too lenient on them. So he decides to be a, a tougher king, and he makes things worse. And he says, now, not only do you have to do the same amount of work as before, I see that you're becoming too lax, too, because I, I must have been too kind, so it's time for me to be tougher, so now you have to collect your own straw. And which makes adds, adds a lot of work to the whole thing. And it's not like you collect, you have to collect the straw, but you need to, to do less. You need to do the same amount of work, but now we also have to do to, uh, to, to collect, to find the straw yourself. Before I provided it for you, now you have to provide it yourself. And then things go haywire, and the officers in charge of the Jewish people, they get beaten up by the more superior officer officers, and they go to Pharaoh, and again he mocks them. And what ends up, what it ends up being, is that everyone is angry at Moshe, at Moses. And and Moshe finally agreed to become the savior, to become the God's messenger. And he was so hesitant, but he agreed. And the, the previous parasha ended with him only making things worse. So we see here something very, very important, very very fundamental to what happens when you start serving God, is that when you start serving God, things become worse. They don't become better. <laughs> this, is, this we learned from Moshe. Moshe was, a, was, he didn't really want to, he needed a lot of convincing. He ended up being convinced, and what did he get for it? Everyone's complaining, everyone hates him. They say, we wish you didn't come, now you, you made it worse for us. Just go to where you came from. And don't bother us anymore because you just made things worse. And he is so confused, he turns to God. And this is how the previous parsha ended. He turns to God and he says, Oh Lord, why did you bring harm upon these people? Very, very powerful words. Why did you make it worse? You could have done nothing. Why did you make it worse? And then he adds another question. Why did you send me? Very, very deep existential questions. Why did you cause this suffering? Why did you make things bad and worse? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, the, this people's situation has only worsened. And you did not save them. Resounding words. And, and these questions echo... We're left hanging at the end of the previous parasha with these words, with this question. The final verse is a kind of answer, a very weak answer. God is telling him, um, uh, no, you shall see that now I'm going to, to save you. But according to, to many interpretations, this isn't really the answer. The answer is really coming in the beginning of our parasha, which means that we're left hanging it's not. It's a kind of cliffhanger. It's not the cliffhanger, the kind of cliffhanger that leaves you in suspense, but it leaves you with a resounding question. <clears throat> and this is something actually experienced by many people who, who are on the path of tshuva. They do. They do great, great changes in their lives. They change sometimes everything about their lives. They change their appearance. They change their habits. They start observing Sabbath. They start changing what they eat and don't eat and who they touch and and so many things. And and then and they're really hopeful that now everything is going to be much, much better because I'm doing God's will. And sometimes there is a short euphoria, but often what happens is similar to what happened to Moshe. Is you do all the, you, you do this amazing change and you you know you tie yourself to this duty and things become worse and you say why why am i doing this and also the people around you aren't very you know they're not always very encouraging you know many many balichuva they get this this reaction you were nicer before you know this you were a nicer guy before when you were still secular where you were it was nicer to hang around with you you didn't you didn't, uh, you know, deal with all these little details, and you didn't, you weren't as judgmental, and uh, I preferred it when it was uh, before you made this change. And you're just making things more complicated, 
and just let us be. And now we all have to do, to do things in, in your favor, we have to change things in order to, to accommodate you, and so on. And of course, it's not the same situation, but it's a similar situation. Things become worse. So before we experience a spiral, we experience a descent. We experience a hiding of the face. We experience questions, unanswered questions. Why? Why does, it, why does it need to become worse before it becomes better? Why did you send me? And, and just that, that the idea that the Parsha ends this way is extremely powerful, the previous Parsha. It ends with, you know, this whole Parsha was about this character Moshe discovering, running away, and then meeting, the, meeting God, and fighting his, and connecting to his, you know, mission, and going on his mission, and, ma- and not just failing, making it worse. And that's how the Parsha ends. It's a, it's a strong message that's being, you know, relayed here. What is the answer? The answer in this Parsha is the opening of the Parsha. And the opening of the Parsha is God tells him, um, here it is. God tells him, God spoke to Moshe and told him, I am God. And the words for I am God is now he's using the central, what is called God's essential name, the tetragrammaton, the four-letter, unpronounced name of God, which we call the name Havaya, right? The four-letter, tetragrammaton, unpronounced name. Of course, this name has appeared many, many, many times before. But now it appears in a different context. He tells him, now you have to learn my true essence. Because in the previous parasha, Moshe wanted a name, and he was given a different name. He was given the name Eheye, I shall be. Or as the famous translation to English is, I am, I am that I am. But now he, he tells him his essential name. And then he tells him, and this is where the name of the parasha comes in, he tells him to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I revealed myself, and this is the name of the parsha, Va'era, I revealed myself, I showed myself, only with a, a, a more particular limited name. It's also a name we're careful not to pronounce, so I'll, I'll say it once, but then I'll pronounce it differently. It's called El Shaddai, but we pronounce it Kel Shakai. And it's a name that means limitation, which really means to the, fr- the first generations of Judaism, of course, the name Havaya appeared many, many, many times. God spoke to them using that name, and he said, this is my name. But what he's saying now is, I only, they, they knew the name, but they didn't really know what the name meant. And they didn't really, they, I didn't acquaint myself to them with this name fully. I used it. They knew the name. But really, when you're talking about levels of godliness, they knew only a limited level of myself. The, 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 the limited level is embodied in the name Kel Shakai, which actually means a force of limitation. And w- which means really that up until now, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all I revealed was my power to make limited changes in the world. Limited changes mean you take, means you take the world, and you modify it, and you you do small changes. Of course, they had miracles, they, had, they were saved, a lot of things happened. And it means actually two things. It means I made them promises, but I never really kept them. I promised they would have the promised land, but it was never fulfilled. So it's, a, it's something limited, that's one. And the other is, like I said, is that I showed them only a limited amount of my power, how I can change things gradually, a little bit, details. However, now to you and to the Jewish people, I'm about to reveal my essential name, Havaya. Havaya is the name that fulfills the promises of the more limited name. And also, it's the power to completely recreate reality anew. The whole idea coming out of Egypt, right? the word Passover in Hebrew, Pesach, means to jump not just to walk. walk. Walking is making gradual changes. 
that the the patriarchs knew. But to make jumps in reality, to completely make turn things upside down and create an upheaval and totally destroy Egypt and take the Jewish people out of it, that is a much that is a totally different level of miracle. And that's what I'm about to reveal. So this becomes the answer to why did you make things worse. This is where the Alter Rebbe, whose Yorzeit we celebrated last week, that's what he explains. He explains, how is this the answer? How is, now I'm about to reveal my essential name, my greater power, the power that fulfills the promises to the patriarchs and the power that is able to not just make a gradual change in reality, but a complete upheaval of things, to completely disrupt the order of things. How can this be an answer to the question, how have you made things worse? He says, because it goes together. In order for a new level of godliness to be revealed, there needs to, it needs to be preceded by a darkness. You can't go directly from the previous name, Kel Shakai, or the limited revelation of God's power, to the fuller revelation of God's power, straightforwardly. First, you need a break, a space, a gap, a darkness, a worsening of things. That's how it works. It can't work any other way. That's how the spiral works. You need, there needs to be descent for the sake of, of ascent. There needs to be a worsening for the sake of a better good to emerge. This is really what he's, what he's telling him. So, we're going to see this now, in a beautiful, beautiful way, in the next verses that appear. So the Parsha opens, again, with God telling Moses, I am Havaya. Up until now, I have shown myself to the, to the first generations of Judaism. And, and we have to stress the word shown, this is also important. Uh, the name of the parasha is I have shown. I have shown myself, or I have revealed myself to the patriarchs in a limited fashion. Now I'm going to be known, not just shown, I'm going to be known to you with my essential name, Havaya, with a higher, fuller revelation of my essence. So the first level to, to the patriarchs, it was something you could see. Seeing means something more figurative, relatively speaking, something you can see or sense. But now we're going to reach a higher level of connection, which isn't seeing, it's knowing. The name of the Parsha, the Parsha is named after the lower level revelation. I have shown myself to the previous generations with a limited, in a limited capacity. But now I'm going to make it known to you Right, let's look at the, read the verse to be more precise. It says, I haven't made myself known to the previous generation with my name Havaya, but now I am going to make uh, myself known to you. So, all this suggests, again, that there's a kind of spiral with the name of the parasha stressing really connecting to the end of the previous parasha, the worsening, the why have you made things worse, just showing, just seeing, but not connected to something beyond sight or beyond, you know, a direct experience of things. So this is just the basic idea. But now we're going to, it's a very simple idea, but it's a very deep idea. And the most, one of the most beautiful things about studying Torah is sometimes you can see these basic simple ideas play out in tiny, precise, beautiful details in the verses. And that makes all the difference in the world, because the, there's a big difference between knowing this idea, which you've all heard in some way, this idea of a spiral and of descent for the sake of ascent, and of, you know, the worsening before the appearance of... But when you see it play out in particular ways, it you sort of internalize it in a far deeper way. And that's what we're going to see now, and it's extremely beautiful. So, um, so let's 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 go. So, what happens now is that God is now presenting 
what is known in Jewish tradition as Arba Leshonot Geula, the four words for redemption. Those four words are four verbs that appear in two consecutive verses. It's, we're, we're in Exodus chapter 6, and the two verses are verse 6 and verse 7. The, the first verse has the first three words of redemption, or verbs, and then the, the second verse has the fourth one, right? Suggesting there's a big difference between the first three and the final four, the final fourth one. And now let's, let's just read it and then, and then see a little bit of what's going on. And we're going to explain uh, a little bit of what's going on here and then we're going to see the spiral sort of take place. But let's just start. Go say to the sons of Israel. Now, of course, there, you have many, many translations. This is my variation on, on an existing translation because I want to stress certain details, so I, I, I changed it in a particular way. Go say to the sons of Israel, I am Havaya, because that's the whole point, is to reveal the essential name, and I freed you. So this is, this is I'm using a past tense. It's more complicated in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it could be read as past or future. It's, it's a bit complicated to explain, but it can be read as... So the, the, a more literal, simple reading, and that's what you would find in most translations, would be the future, because it hasn't happened yet. But for reasons that I'll explain in a while, in a short while, I am going to turn it into the past tense. It can be read as both. A simpler reading would be the future tense. Yeah, of course. But for, again, for reasons that I'll explain in a minute, I'm using the past tense. And we can say that he's sort of speaking from the point of view of the future, of what is going to have happened in a while. So go to say to the sons of Israel, I am Avaya, and I freed you from your suffering under the Egyptians. That's the first word of redemption, to free. The Hebrew word is hotseti. I shall bring you out. So here I use the word... Again, translations here, and I preserve the word to free. Literally, it means to bring you out. I shall, I shall bring you out, or I shall free you from the suffering under the Egyptians, and delivered you from their bondage. This is a hetzalti, saving or delivering. Vehotzeti, vehitzalti, I delivered you from their bondage. And I redeemed you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisements. And here the word is ga'alti. In Hebrew it's vehotzeti, vehitzalti, vega'alti. And there's even a poetic ring to them because the middle one is almost like a combination of the first and the third one. Hotzeti, vehitzalti, both have the letter tzadik, the tz sound, hotzeti, etzalti. And then the second and the third one both have a, an L in them. Hitzalti ga'alti. So it's very beautiful. The middle word is, is almost like a transition between the first and the third one. So it's just beautiful Hebrew. It's, it's like, a, like an evolution. Hotzeti etzalti ga'alti. So this, the, the middle verb has the tzaddik from the first one and the lamet from the third one. Very beautiful. So this is the first verse. And it has a very long verse. And it has the first three words for redemption. This is basic, by the way, to Passover and the, and the Haggadah. It corresponds to the four cups of wine that we drink in the Passover night. And connected to the four sons, all the fours, there are a lot of fours, foursomes, going on in the Haggadah and Passover, so it starts with this. And then comes the second verse, and the fourth word. And it says, and I took you. I took you to be my people, and I was your God. And you shall know that I am Avaya, again, I am Avaya, your God, who frees you from the sufferings of the Egyptians. So just a quick, a quick sort of, this could be a whole class, we're going to do this very briefly, just to get a feel for what's going on here. A very deep explanation starts with the sages interpreting the four verbs, and they say the following. They say the first one, the freeing, hotseti, the bringing out, is just the 
the cessation of the harsh work. They're still in Egypt, but once the plague started, starting with the first plague, the plague of, of blood, uh, they, they're, they stopped working hard. Their enslavement really effectively came to an end because the Egyptians were too busy coping with the plagues. Second, the Hetzalti is the coming out physically from the land of Egypt following the 10th plague. The third one, Ga'alti, is the crossing of the Red Sea, a full week later, and the drowning of the Egyptians. So all these happen relatively close to one another, and they all have to do, they still very much have to do with the land of Egypt. In the first one, they're still in the land of Egypt. In the second one, they're just crossing the border out of the land of Egypt. And in the third one, they're getting rid of the Egyptians who are chasing them. But it all, it's still bound up with Egypt, even the third one, because the Egyptians are chasing them. However, the fourth one is very different. It's, not, it's no coincidence, it's a verse in and of itself. The fourth one is the giving of the Torah, six weeks after the crossing of the parting of the Red Sea. It's reaching Sinai and the beginning of the receiving of the Torah. And the word, the Hebrew word to take, also suggests marriage. To take a wife. If you know the laws of marriage in, 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 the, in, the, in the Talmud, it's learned from the verb, ki yikach ishisha, if a man takes a woman. So taking is, a, is one of the Hebrew words for marrying. So the idea is that the, the, the taking here is the sort of marriage, the metaphorical marriage between God and the Jewish people in Mount Sinai. Very different. There's a, 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 a time jump between the first three and the final one, and also completely different context. The first three have to do with Egypt, and the final fourth one is far away from Egypt. It's seven weeks after coming out of Egypt, six weeks after the parting of the Red Sea, and they're at the, at the foothills of, of, of Mount Sinai. Another deeper, so this is Chazal, this is the sages. Uh, a Hasidic explanation says that the first level has to do with, with release from the Egyptians on a, on a practical level. So for all of us, we, the first thing we need to come out of our Egypt, you know, each one has their own Egypt, their own constraints in life, and there are four levels of coming out of it. The first level is just to get out of it, the Hotseti, just get out of there. And just stop, stop the, the bad habit, or stop the, the bad thing you're doing, or the, the bad place you're at, just get out of there. That's the first step. It's very superficial, but it's very it's vital. So that's just getting out. And then the second one, which is coming out of the land of Egypt, is, is more emotional. It means coming out of the mental space of whatever it is that's limiting your life, that's narrowing you down. The first is just stop, you know, it's like stop smoking. And then the second one maybe is don't hang around people who smoke so much. You know, get out of that atmosphere. Change, change your climate change your atmosphere. It's more emotional. It has to do with the mental space that surrounds you, or emotional space. The third one, it has to do with crossing the Red Sea and drowning the Egyptians, has to do with getting rid of remnants of whatever it is that's, that's limiting you or enslaving you on, 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 a, on a deeper, more even intellectual level, in terms of your thoughts. You're still, you have the habit of going back in your mind to that old, bad mental space you were in. And that means that you're out of Egypt, but psychologically the Egyptians are, chill, are still running after you, and you're letting them. You're letting those negative thoughts haunt you. That means that although you're out of Egypt, in the, in the first two levels, 
Egypt is not out of you. The Egyptians are still running after you. And you need to drown that as well. You need to put that behind you as well. Very three levels. But again, it's still, it all communicates with Egypt still. Then the fourth one, so the, again, the first one, the, what is here called freeing or coming out, is just on a practical level. The second one, the delivering or the hetzalti, is the emotional one. And then the redeeming, the ga'alti, is, you know, really freeing yourself from the internal bondage within you, being haunted by the the enslaver, the whatever is it, the negative force that you're running away from. But it all it's all again, it's all around the negativity. It all has to do with negating the negativity. Fourth one totally different. Fourth one is you're getting a Torah. Getting the Torah, receiving the Torah means now you have a new vocation. You you even it's, it's more it's deeper than that. You have a new master, a good one. Before you were enslaved to some pharaoh, some bad habit, some the evil inclination, whatever it is. But now you need to you you do need to become a servant, but you need to have a proper master, a good master. You need you need God to be your master. And the Torah is once I have this is something positive, it's not negative. I have a vocation, I have a direction, I have the Torah guiding me, showing me the path, and it fills my life and it gives me, you know, my personal mission, my route in life, my path, things to do, things to think about, things to learn, good deeds to, you know, invest in. I'm not just running away from. This is called in philosophy to be the, the 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 distinction between the first three and the final four is that the first three the first three have to do with freedom from. I'm free from some limitation, and the fourth one has to do with freedom to. I'm free to do what I want to do, what I really want to do. So the first freedom is negative and the second freedom is positive. And also, of course, the first three have to do with the holiday of Passover and the final fourth one has to do with the holiday of Shavuot, weeks, festival of weeks, or Pentecost. So it's, uh, it's, you can see that the jump here is extremely meaningful between the first three and the final fourth one. Now, so this is just something, a basic idea to think about deeply, about what these four words mean. But now we're going to look at something more interesting, and this connects to the idea of the spiral. If you look very closely at the first verse, the first part of the first verse, the, the one that has to do with the first word, the freeing, the hotseti, the coming out, and you look at the final fourth stage, the one that has to do with receiving the Torah and positive freedom and all of this, you see that there are three elements that you get a sensation of a full circle being closed. There's a circular element here, and I'm going to show it to you now. Three elements, and I've color-coded them, three elements that repeat themselves. So the first is the, the term, I am Havaya, I am God's essential name, repeats itself in the first word for redemption and in the fourth word for redemption, full circle. Second, the, the verb to free, lehotzi, also appears, vehotzeti in the first case, and hamotzi, who frees them, in the fourth one. And also, the word suffering, which is in Hebrew, is sivlot. It's a word that appears many times around the story of the enslavement in Egypt. It appeared in the previous parasha, and, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh mentions it, and, and it, it repeats many times, the sivlot mitzrayim, the suffering, or it's sometimes translated as the labors of Egypt. So that appears again. In the first one it says, I freed you from your suffering under the Egyptians. And again, again, he says, it frees you, the one who frees you from your sufferings 
of the uh, under the Egyptians or of the Egyptians. So this appears to be something like a circle. That the uh, this is called in Kabbalah that the end is wedged in the beginning and the beginning is wedged in the end. A famous term concept from the Book of Formation, Sefer Yetzirah. However, if you look closer, each one of these three links is slightly changed. There's a variation, just like the transition between Galgal and Gilgul, or Gola and Geula. There's a variation, and the variations make all the difference in the world. They turn the circle into a spiral. So let's look at the three points of difference. First point of difference. In the first instance, the first word for redemption, it says, I am Avaya. But the second one is a little more complicated. It says, you shall know I am Havaya, your God. Right? The difference is that it says, you shall know that I am Havaya, your God. That's the first difference. Second difference is that, as I said before, all the all the verbs are can be read as future or past, but you but it can also be read as past. And in fact, it I said before that the literal meaning or the the simple meaning would be the future, but in fact, the way you read it, it well it, it makes more sense if it's future, but it looks like the past. And we're going to read it now as the past. So in the first instance, it says freed, hotseti, in the past, but in the end, it says freeze in the present. And the final difference, and this is the subtlest one, and the one that is the most hard to explain in English, but we'll try, is that the first instance of the word sivlot, suffering, appeared in partial spelling, which means it can be read in the singular, suffering. And the second word is sivlot in a full spelling. You have the vav there, which means it has to be read in the plural. The first one can be read in the singular. I said plural before, what did I say? The first, the first spelling can be read as a singular, one suffering, Sivlat. And the second one can't be read in any other way as plural. It can only be read as plural. Sufferings. So what's going on here? So the idea is really the following, in a way. The fact that the, the, God says, I am a Vaya twice, and the first one, he just says it. I am Avaya. Tell them that I am Avaya. And the second one, he's foreseeing that you shall know. The second one, of course, is when you receive the Torah. When you get to the final stage of the four stages. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to travel through the desert, and there's going to be some hardships and wars. You know, there you were battle Amalek during the time, and there's thirst and hunger. A lot of things happen in those six weeks. But finally, you'll receive the Torah. Even the Torah takes time. You know, you just get the Ten Commandments in the beginning. Then you have to wait 40 days. So it, it, the whole thing takes time. But if you wait and you go through the steps, you'll reach a stage in which you know that I'm Avaya. You're not just told, you know it. So the first name Havaya is sort of, it's sort of somewhere high up there. And it's sort of, you know, it's declared. And it, it falls on you in some way. You don't know, you don't understand it. And in fact, just after this, that, that Moshe goes and tells all of this, all the four stages, he tells it to the Jewish people, it is said that they, did, they couldn't listen. Why? Because they were short of breath and hard of labor. That's what it says immediately after all of this little dialogue between God and Moshe. Is Moshe says, okay, I'm going to tell them what you told me. I'm going to tell them that you're going to free them and deliver them and save them and redeem them and, and all of this. And he says everything. 
and and they they can't they can't listen because they were short of breath and under hard labor they couldn't listen because they're still in Egypt they're still in Egypt and for them it's just a name the name Havaya it's just a concept it's somewhere up high up there yeah yeah we heard you and it's sort of a con it's a very deep concept that God can redeem you from anything but you don't know it you haven't experienced it you don't really believe it it's out of your reach but it, what God promises when you're going to go through the whole spiral if you're going to survive the, the worsening and you'll see that great miracles will happen and then you'll know this name so really there are three stages there's the worsening and then there's an initial revelation of the name Havaya which doesn't really you know seep in and then finally after the four stages you get a full and full knowledge or experience of this level of godliness now let's look at the second two differences freed in the past versus freeze or freeing in the present and the strange two forms of spelling of suffering so we can say two things about this very 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 beautiful and this is this is really where the spiral gets really beautiful the first three words have to do with a particular exile the Egyptian exile it's a it's a one-time event in history and at some point it's going to be in your past says God to the Israelites and that's why he's speaking already in the past tense and it'll be over it'll be behind you it'll be a memory you'll talk about it in Passover you will remind yourself of it you know every day and you'll need to imagine as if you came out of Egypt as all Jews are told to imagine to think of themselves as coming out of Egypt but it's going to be a one-time event and it'll be behind it, it'll be a memory. And that's why it's in the past tense. And also, Sivlot can be read, the first Sivlot, as just one suffering, one-time event. So it's one period, very harsh, very bad, but it's over. It's a, it was a one-time thing, it's behind you. However, the spiral of suffering or the spiral of constant regrowth is never-ending and there's going to be more and more sufferings in the plural because it's not going to be as hard as Egypt but there's, there's always going to be just before uh, you know a new dawn there'll be a new darkness and and there's going to be a plurality of them sivlot in the plural and the coming out of it will not be in the past tense. It's an eternal present. Motzi. I free you. I, not I freed you in the past. I free you now and again now and again now. And all the time I'm freeing you. I'm getting you out of a new level of suffering or constraint or labor. Labor also suggests you know, birth. Coming out of Egypt is like being born. Egypt is like a womb. And, of course, every time you're going to know me more. And not only know me, I didn't speak about this, it's not just you shall know I am Havaya, it's I shall become your God, means your actual guiding force in, a, in an experiential way. This means becoming your God. Havaya Elokecha, not just Havaya. Not just the name, the essential name Havaya. I'm going to be your God. A very, you know, you're going very Muhashi, what's the word? Very um, uh, direct experience. A direct sensation of I'm guiding you in your life. Um, still trying to remember the word Muhashin, they probably write it down for me. 
tangible, thank you. It's going to be in a very tangible way. Another way of understanding the difference between sivlot in a partial spelling and sivlot, sivlot in a full spelling, I said before that the letter Vav, the simple line, suggests a kind of ray of light that goes into our lives. And that, it also, that, is, that adds the final element to this whole spiral thing. The, 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 the partial spelling suggests a suffering that I don't understand. I'm in the dark as to why it's happening. Just like the sons of Israel can't hear Moshe because they're short of breath and they have to deal with very hard labor. There's no ray of light in their lives. So the first, the, the beginning of the spiral is, you, I, oh, okay, if you say so, but I don't feel this in any way. I don't see any ray of light. I just see the suffering. However, the second suffering has this, it, on the one hand, it's, like, it's in the plural. There's more and more, endless. It's said of righteous people, when they reach heaven, they don't rest. They go from force to force, they, from strength to strength. Sorry, that's the expression. Michail el Each time they need to come out of a limitation and reach a higher fulfillment. So on the one hand, it's, it's endless. On the other hand, there's a ray of light in it, you know, like a thread through so many beads. One thread, one ray of light that illuminates it from within. And what makes the difference? What makes the big difference that the second Sivlot have this Vav in them? Is if we go back to the, to the verses here, then you remember that the fourth word of redemption is I took you, I took you is I marry you, I give you the Torah, is the big difference between the first exile, which is the Egyptian exile, and all the other exiles you're going to go through as a collective, as a people, and as individuals, is that you're going to have the Torah with you. In Egypt, we didn't have the Torah, because it, just, it was just the first three words of redemption. But when we get to the fourth one, we have the Torah. That, that is the fourth word of redemption. When you get the Torah, the suffering doesn't end, but it is illuminated. When you study Torah, you understand that this spiral is a deep, fundamental, essential part of our lives. That before there's a new revelation of God's essential, of God's essence, before you know, on a deeper level, that I am Havaya, that He is really what is and, and, and was and will be, and creates everything, there needs to be a darkness, a worsening, a hiding of the face, a suffering, but it will be illuminated by the Torah. You'll have Torah to study that will guide your way, that will illuminate your way. So this is a lesson, a deep lesson to be learned from the opening of this Parsha. That the whole book of Exodus talks about this archetypal exile and redemption. And just the, this borderline situation of the end of the first Parsha and the beginning of the second one, is a point in time in which it seems like not only are we not coming out of Egypt, but it's becoming worse. However, all this is a descent for the sake of ascent. It's leading up to a higher revelation of God's essence, which itself is divided into the first stage of the revelation in which it's just outside of me and I don't know it. I'm just told that there is this level, but I can't I'm too short of breath, I'm too, you know, I'm dealing with this hard work, with this heart, 
uh, situation in my life. Uh, it's just like some super conscious faith or, you know, a glimmer in the, in the horizon. That's what it is. But it doesn't, but I'm still in the dark as to what's going on. But then, as things progress and advance, and I come out of it and I grow out of it, I assume my breath again, and I receive the Torah, and I can, you know, breathe in and out, and study it properly, and just like we did in this class. We took four verses, and, you know, we took our time to look closely at all the little things that are going on there. And then suddenly this whole concept, very simple concept of the spiral, is sort of, you know, spelled out in a, in a far more detailed and a nuanced way that really tells us, you know, it runs home this idea in, in a deeper way. That, uh, that when, we, when we go through these stages and we're fully out of Egypt, and we marry to receive the Torah, and we need to receive the Torah anew every year and, and every month. There's a new month starting this week, and, and every day maybe. Then we can go through this process of renewal and bring light into our lives, and it doesn't get rid of the suffering that's an essential part of existence, but it illuminates it from within, and it, it turns it into into a, an element in the process, in the evolution of growth. So this was our class for Vaera for this week.